I'm now in my 30th year working to restore nature in forests and on farms, mostly across the north of England. 30 years ago, I left the city and my old job behind. I hung up my suit and tie and went off to plant trees. It's a decision I've never regretted. Before we get into season three of Triumph Podcasts, um, I have the delight to bring to you two specials we recorded at the Oxford Real Farming Conference. I'm Pete Leeson. Welcome to Tree Amble Podcast Specials. hope you enjoyed our first special on the Oxford Real Farming Conference where we interviewed Colin Tudge and Ruth West. This episode, called Voices from the ORFC, is all about the people that turned up and gave their voice and enthusiasm to this amazing conference. In this episode, we interview Angela, my lovely partner, Ginny from the Nature Friendly Farming Network, Adam, one of the volunteers, Gerald Miles from an organic farm in Wales, Claire Whittle, the vet, Vicky Kane, Richard Lewis, who's a tree grower, Sam Kenyon, regenerative farmer, Tom Curtis, Malcolm Barrett, a new Duchy of Cornwall tenant, Charlotte from the Real Farming Trust, Claire Seawood from WaterAid, Chris Jones, Cornwall Beaver Project, Dorrit Albertson, Amy from Kingsdale, Mark and his woad and natural dyes, a short section from one of the talks, Care E. Moore, which is sea farming in Wales, Ewan Ross from the Nature Friendly Farming Network, and we have a final roundup with James Robinson, who's an organic farmer from Cumbria. We felt pretty awful about having to really edit down the opening ceremony. It was an amazing musical event with cheering and engagement with the audience. Um, so I'm really sorry that we had to chop that one up, but I hope we kept the essence of that, of that fantastic ceremony, which opened the conference so beautifully. And also I feel a bit sad that actually we recorded many of the sessions and some fantastic stories and delivery by people who are passionate about what they do. But in the end, I felt the voices were a stronger story for this podcast. Um, but we did keep one, and that's the Care E. Moore Sea Farming in Wales. I love this story. It's, it's a different way of looking at farming, where we get our proteins and how we help nature and, and farm for food and, and nature with it. So... I hope you enjoy this. Lots of different voices telling lots of different stories. Um, and yeah, just great fun. Thanks. So, we're on tour again this time. And Triangle's come to Oxford to go to the Oxford Real Farming Conference 2024. I'm sat here with Angela, and we've got the programme in front of us, and uh, it's a really packed programme. There's so much to look at. It's overwhelming. It so is a bit overwhelming. There's 143, I think, different sessions across so six or seven different uh, venues. Um, and you want to be in more than one place at the same time. That's the sign of a good conference, it isn't is. it? It is. It really is, actually. <laughs> And there's a, there's a hugely social element to this. Um, there's also some technical sessions. 
So yeah, where, where do you think we might... Well, we're going to go to the opening plenary session, so that's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, so there's, a, there's six, six or so sessions in the, in the main... Uh, in the town hall, which... I guess, uh, guess the, I believe this is my first time at this conference, but I think if, you can struggle to get in some of these sessions. So no, you have think, to be prepared yeah, to dash yeah, across you've town. Dash. You've got to dash. <laughs> and go to your second or third third choices. But I think my first choice is going to be... Um, well, mm. agrobiodiversity for the survival of our food system. That sounds like something I, well, significant. It's, it's very much up my street. Um, and I'd, I'd quite like to do a session which is up my street to start with, to get myself there. And then I think we need to think about something which is a little bit off-piste for me. Um, and I probably feel slightly less comfortable with more, the more, I suppose, social elements of this, in a sense. Um, well, there's quite a few workshops, aren't there? And even some ceremonies, yeah. um, which sound really interesting. Um, so I think maybe I, I'm guessing some of the workshops will be more interactive, um, but it'd be interesting to see how that, how they're yeah, run. If how they run? It, whether it's post-it notes and uh, yeah. so or, one or, something, is... or something a lot more radical, <laughs> trying to get people involved and ideas flowing and things like that. Um, so there's one here: meditation for self-regeneration. There's another one, mindful eating session. Um, add gratitude and joy to your meal. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, we talk about mindfulness all the time, don't we? Yeah. Our, on the allotment, and it's a very mindful thing. So yeah. I think that could be quite entertaining. Um, there's a project there, Lessons from the USA. There's quite a bit on, on diversity, I think. There's quite a few sessions, so... Um one here, women feed the world. Yeah, black and brown communities, belonging, belonging, representation, and social justice. And it's good to see some some sessions about youth, with youth involving youth as well. So it's, it feels really inclusive. Um, yep, improving regenerative agriculture, agriculture through open source technologies. Um, so this 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 is just it's hugely diverse, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it'd be interesting to see who, you know, how, how varied, how many people go around a different variety of sessions, really. So um, what, what session are you doing, Pete? So I'm doing natural flood management. Um, that's at four o'clock. Slow the flow, nature-based floods responses. So I'm chairing Best that session. Best go to that then, have so I? I'd better go to that one, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, that's just all day one. <laughs> then food, drink, music and dancing so in the evening if you've got the energy left for that and I'm hoping that we, um, we're going to play at one of those sessions <laughs> if you twist my arm yeah. I will twist your arm and day two <clears throat> we've got to go to the meditation haven't we I think, I think that's essential Satish Kumar earlier now. absolutely fantastic person and uh, really really keen to look, look forward to that one did you see him speak last year? Was he here at this conference? Well, this is year? my this is my fourth time. Is I, it I, my third time here? And in fact, oh, it might even be my fifth actually, because we did two two online, didn't we? In, oh in yeah, yeah. So so I feel a little bit like an old hand, although you know, there's lots older hands than me. I wonder what um, you know the attendees will be. I guess mostly land managers, but people from a range of different organisations. Yeah. I wonder if how many sort of generally just interested folk there are. That... Well, part of Triamel's project here is to go around and just take box pops and see what people are interested in yeah. and, so uh, what, and why they're here. So what's your opening question going to be? 
What's your name? <laughs> What's your name and where do you come from? Wasn't that Silla Black? I think possibly was, actually. <laughs> Start with So Scylla maybe that's what we should do. I think we should stop this little interview and go and find some people to talk to. Sounds like a good idea. Thanks, Angela. Hi, Ginny, from Nature Friendly Farming Network. I Hi, find that really difficult to say. <laughs> Just say it a few more times. And you're at Oxford Real Farming Conference, and why are you here? We are here to make face-to-face -face connections. Yep. We're here to be part of this incredible um, collection of people. Yep. Um, it's very different when you're sat behind a computer screen and you're separated, and we're actually able to come together, share ideas, inspire each other, and think about the positive things that are going on across the whole country. And there's lots of positives. That's the whole point of this conference, isn't it? There are lots of positives, and as we've been discussing, everyone's fizzing with ideas, yep. and they need to spark those ideas off amongst other people, and that's what we're here for, to hear from everybody, yeah. share our stories, get our farming voices out there, what's going on around the UK and what can you copy, what can you take from that to your own yeah. farm? And le learning from each other. Absolutely. Um, we've brought a, a brilliant collection of farmers to the conference with us this year so that they can share their stories, some in the sessions, yeah. some at the stand. Um, and we want to inspire everybody to yeah. do more for nature. So we've got James Robinson, we've interviewed James before, that's great, and Sam Bowman from Cumbria, and Sam Kenyon. Sam Kenyon from Wales, yeah. yep, she's coming to talk about the um, action she's taken on her farm because of the floods that devastated her land three years ago, mm -hmm. and her, her farm was being washed away. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about the practical methods that farmers can take to, to try and yeah. halt this, and we've also got someone like James coming to say, okay, upland, what do other farmers need mm. to do to help the bigger picture? And there's lots of measures, shorter yeah. and longer-term measures that yeah. can be taken. And you've, you've got here from Norfolk, and Norfolk's pretty much underwater at the moment, isn't it? Well, well yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is. And Cambridge here, as I travelled on the train today, yeah. it was quite shocking, the amount of water that sat very yeah. close to, to buildings and the roads, but lots of trees submerged on the yeah. journey across yeah. the day. And you shared a lift with some important people as well, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I, I did. I came with James Murray-White, who's been involved in the Six Inches of Soil film yeah. that's premiering here um, tomorrow night. Um, and we talked about lots of projects, films, um, yeah. local projects about water quality, um, about water having rights. Um, so it was fascinating and, and really exciting start to the conference for me to be with James and Clara. That was, you know, an hour and a half, two hours before I'd even arrived. <laughs> and I was inspired. A fizzy buzzy. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So what is there one or two sessions that you're particularly keen on seeing? Yes, we are doing a session, um, Barn to Yarn, about right, regenerative okay. fibre production. Okay. And we've got a fantastic panel. Um, and we've got um, Frida Gormley, who is one of the founders of um, House of Hackney. Right. And they have very recently just um, appointed Nature to their board. Uh -huh. okay. So they followed suit with Faith to Nature, the beauty company. And they've now got actually the same persons come in. So Nature is represented in all their decision making. Um, so she's going to come and talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Um, we've got Helen Keyes coming over from Northern Ireland to talk All about right. how she's brought back flax production yep, um, okay. in, on her far, family farm in Northern Ireland. So I'm really looking forward to that one. But there's loads of great sessions. On. Well, we were just sat in a cafe a few minutes ago, just, just saying, oh, my God, there's 143 sessions or something, and six or seven different venues. and oh. 
it's going to be very difficult to decide what to go to. We very luckily have a few staff members here and we're sort of sending them out to different sessions. And I've tasked them all with coming back and presenting to us in our team meetings for the next couple of months um, so we can share what was being discussed, um, what questions were people asking, what did people want to know, um, and we will obviously watch all of the online sessions back as well. So we're, we're hopefully going to have everything covered. We're, we're doing five sessions right. of our own or in partnership with other organisations. So it's going to be quite busy. Brilliant. I'm very excited. So Ginny, great to meet you. And I'll probably catch up with you in a, well, a few hours, maybe tomorrow or something. See, see how, yep. how you're getting on, how tired you are by then. Okay. I won't be tired. I've got two boys. <laughs> this, this is not tiring. <laughs> <laughs> They're at home, are they? Yeah. Someone else is looking after. My husband has them, so very lucky I can come here for the whole, the whole conference and have a, have a break. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. So we just bumped into a gentleman who tells me he's into orchards. Yeah, well, my name's Adam. Adam. <laughs> so, isn't that appropriate? That's fantastic. Yeah. Adam and the yeah. apple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm here volunteering. For, uh-huh. okay. I've done it for several years now, okay. but it's right. such good fun. Yep. It's a real buzz, you know. Mm. It, it turns me on for the whole year and keeps me going. Brilliant. And it's in, because of the in, energy. In these sad times, we need <laughs> things like this. The energy and the positivity that's here. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, Brilliant. It's just thrilling. Yeah. yeah. And you've come down from Grantham? Uh, come down from near Grantham, yeah. Rutland. Rutland, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah specifically yeah. here. Yeah. So uh, my particular interest is, is uh, fruit trees and orchards. Okay. So right. with agroforestry growing apace. I love agroforestry. Um, it's it's, it's there to stay now. Yeah. Thank goodness, because our traditional orchards have just been declining. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, I was telling you yeah. about the damson orchards, yeah. which really need celebrating much more. These wonderful Cumbrian, Westmoreland damson well, the orchards. The Light Valley. Where you, people in used the to come, Lithe Valley, yeah, isn't it? Very, Do you pronounce to, it Lithe? I think Lithe, well, I'd say Lithe. Lithe, but Lithe, whatever. whatever. Okay. Whatever. Okay, anyway. It's where you, people used to come from Lancashire, yes. and the Sharabangs to pick. And yeah. To, yeah. And the same happens in several places. So I was recently down at Coat Hill, the National Trust property, okay. down yeah. on the Tamar, uh-huh. and people came up by steamer right, to see okay. the cherry blossom. Right. And, of course, that's all gone. So this whole sort of cultural element of particularly blossom, I think, is failing. Yeah. But, yeah. But people go to Japan to see the blossom. Hanami, mm. yes. Mm. They, go, they go to lie under the cherry blossom and see yeah. it falling on top of them and just, just float away with the blossom. Isn't yeah. that lovely? But we used to have that here. Anyway, you've, you've given me the perfect cue to announce <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I'm here to actually promote Orchard Blossom Day. Orchard Blossom Day. Which is to celebrate traditional orchards. So I have my leaflets in my bag Great, all fantastic. ready to distribute okay. like Hanami confetti around the conference. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> fantastic. And uh, but yeah, orchards yep. are my thing. Right. Traditional orchards particularly because yep. they're declining and because they are just so beautiful. Yeah. Bountiful yeah. and biodiverse. And How biodiverse. about that for a triple soundbite? fantastic. <laughs> and what do, you, what do you think you're going to be doing in terms of your, your volunteering at the conference? Well, I think I'm in charge of the main hall. So oh, right, OK. That's drinks for speakers, yeah. checking time. You know, your yeah. time is your up. Time is Just up. stop now. So you'll be stood in front of them waving yeah. away. Yeah, OK. And telling all the stallholders to bloody well shut up <laughs> and let the speakers speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paris, you are well. I think it's beautiful to yeah. meet you. Thank you very much for your time. Brilliant. Okay. Good. And what is it? Orchard Blossom Day. 
Orchard Blossom Day. Last and Friday of April. Uh, last Friday of April. Just look out on, uh, look up Orchard Blossom Day and you will see your nearest orchard on the interactive okay. map. Yep. Bomb along there yep. and lie under the blossom. But they do it on the bike, on foot, or electric car? There are, so, there are cycle trails, car trails yeah. that are beginning to grow around the country right, okay. now to go and see the blossoms. Okay. So Herefordshire has some. Right. Uh, we need some in Cumbria, of course. So when you get back there, just well, sort no, it okay, out. OK, well, we'll go down to Witherslack <laughs> and give them a knock. Yeah, yeah. OK, anyway, brilliant. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Cheers. This is the best time to get people. It is. It is. I've never been early in my life. Okay. <clears throat> so, ask, yeah. I, what's, what's your name? Um, I'm Gerald Miles. Um, my farm is Kyrie's Organic Farm in Pembrokeshire. In Pembrokeshire. It's a coastal farm. And it's been in our generation for three generations. I'm an eight-generation farmer. Right. But we came there as tenants, and now we own it, and my son farms it. Right. Um, and you're here giving one of the sessions. Session I am. On oats, I understand. I am, black oats. And why black oats in particular? A black oats was a variety that my grandfather used to grow, yeah. and it's gone nearly extinct. Right. It's a very... Sp OK, why black oats? Yeah. Black oats is a versatile oat. Why? Because this is... Uh, it's something we should be doing now. Yeah. But black oats, you could plant with barley, and in Welsh you call it chipris, which means a, a mixture. Uh -huh. And why they were compatible? Because they ripened at the same time. So White uh, oats uh -huh. and barley don't ripen at the same time. But black oats and barley, and that was the animal feed we used on the farm. Okay, right. We used it for sheep, for cattle, for cows, you know, e even uh, horses. And so why now, in terms of, is it a climate change thing, or is it a biodiversity thing, or is it, or is it are you thinking you're getting better, better outputs in terms of these mixed crops, or, or is it the heritage side that you're interested in? All of the above. Right. But I... I'm a strong believer in ancient varieties. I have been, I've been doing this yeah. for now 20 years. I'm a strong believer these old varieties are the ones that will survive and feed us through climate change. Right. Okay. Well, even Iber in Aberystwyth, which I never dreamt, that are doing now for the third year running about 60 varieties of oats mm -hmm. and doing trials on them in growing them in plots and when they when and I went there for the open day um, what they had said the day of the rye grass has come to an end they were the creators of bread the S23 ryegrass right. for them to make a statement like that yeah. that oats oats can grow in low fertile soil yeah. can grow anywhere it's very versatile as yeah. forage grazing yeah. You name it, and it's quick growing. It's like a cash crop. Right. As well, it'll grow, and it'll give you seeds that you can mill and mix it into animal feed. So it's an all-round winner? It is. So I love it, OK, yes. <laughs> yes, I have a passion for it, and I do. Fantastic. Well, I, I, it's one of the sessions I'm going to come to. 
and learn some more about it. Thanks very much indeed for five no. minutes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.
in this hubbub, I've just been delighted to sit next to Claire Whittle. Hello, Claire. <laughs> Hello. And, my, and Angela's just said that she last saw you in a cow pat. <laughs> she did. Oh, yeah. Where was it? Where was the cow pat? Was it a grounds? It was calling. Oh, calling. Calm calling. Calm oh, right. calling. Yeah. Yeah. Moving yeah. for dung beetles. <laughs> How are you doing, anyway? Right. I'm good, thank you. And yeah, what are you doing here? Uh, so I'm talking tomorrow about the veterinary role in ecological sustainability, which sounds very, very fancy. Okay. <laughs> and then I'm on a panel with Sarah on Friday um, at the other farming conference, the, fam- the other real, the not oh, the real, real, the, the not, not real, real one. Real one. Uh, the posh one. <laughs> talking about future landscapes in 2050. Okay. And as I'm talking to you, I should say that that includes lots of trees. Good. <laughs> I'm delighted about that. Because you know, as, as a tree person... And maybe it's taken me so... I mean, you know, I'm an old person now, yeah, but it's taken me a long time to realise how important cows are in yeah. the landscape. And how important trees are for cows Exactly. Well. Yeah, exactly. Important. And this is where the synergies come in, isn't <laughs> it? It is, definitely. Ah. So I think one of the things we're talking about for 2050, I, wa- I actually watched a future weather forecast the other day from 2050, right. so the Met Office have released, like, a... It's not a spoof one, because it's mm. relatively it's real, isn't it? Yeah. Um, about um, temperatures exceeding about 40 degrees for right. over two weeks in a row. Right. Now, for a cow, that is really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so heat stress is yeah. really, really... Yeah. It causes, like, massive... So they get really reduced feed intakes, they get loss of fertility, they get increased risk of disease. And the only way we can really keep cows cool is to either keep them inside under huge fans or with some kind of either tree or hedge cover. Right. So the only way we're going to do that is effectively by creating deep shade. So unless people people need to be planting a hell of a load of trees and on a really big scale on their farms. So one of the things now, we've been really talking about <laughs> is agroforestry. Yeah. But I've been working with a huge number of people doing doing uh, wood pasture. Yes. Yeah. And for me, that's that's this beautiful it's joining amazing. together of farming. Yeah production, animal welfare, <laughs> yeah. and trees. And trees, exactly, wood pasture, it's the way to go. Yeah. I went up with, to help James plant some of his wood pasture. Oh, well done. At okay. Strictly, which was amazing. Just it's such a nice weeks. thing, these last few weeks, yeah, yeah okay. I got very wet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point of it, isn't it, is it goes into these really wet areas and then you yeah. get all the benefits of that as well. And hopefully, actually, better grazing for the cows, as it, I imagine it will help yeah. dry out some of that environment as well and make it yeah. potentially, you know, in some areas. Um, well, it will help with compaction. We've yeah. got, and, and cattle do create compaction. They they're unfurls on their own, so yeah. we need that to break up their compaction we do, a bit, don't definitely. we? And the leaf cycling. Yeah, and that ability to just be able to move through for cattle and sheep as well, to be able to move through a landscape and be able to have that adaptive grazing, which yeah. you don't get, I think, on a lot of farms where you just have these huge open fields. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So win, it all win. Win-win. <laughs> Good luck with your session. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Oh, What's sure. your name and what are you here for? Um, my name's Vicky Kane, and I just come for a bit of inspiration in the new year. And are you farming or...? Yeah, so we have a farm at home and I work... Um, I'm a freelance uh, auditor for the Soil Association as well. Oh, okay. I get a bit involved, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And what are you looking forward to most? Oh, I think just... Um, I mean, I'm not that exciting. I, I love to network and just meet up with, yeah. with friends new and old. So um, I come yeah. to do that. And it just puts my... just makes me realise why I do it. So it's quite interesting. Richard Lewis. And you're here, you're a, you're a fruit grower? Um, well, no, I grow fruit trees. So I run a small fruit and nut tree nursery in Dartington, Devon, that's run in association with Schumacher College. Okay. There. So, um, and we might be on, about to take on a slightly larger project as well, but that's still under discussion. So, yeah, so here to learn about lots of different aspects of. Um, 
agroecology and market gardening and all kinds of things. Okay, and make so, some contacts. Yes. Um, and this is your first time here? This is, yes, because um, of running a fruit tree nursery, this is usually a very busy time. Well, yeah, it yeah. is a very it busy is, time, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I usually can't get away, but right. made the effort this year to um, take time out. Fantastic. Well, I hope you have a really brilliant conference. Yes, okay. so do I. I'm looking forward to it. How about that? Mm, yeah. Quiet. So Sam Kenyon, I've just I've just bumped into you at the conference, and you're doing regen farming in North Mid Wales. North Wales. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Mid Wales, but North Wales, yeah. And so, what you, what's your main products? What you're doing? Uh, so small scale livestock farmer. So we're 160 acres. 60 of it is uh, mature broadleaf woodland. Okay. Yeah. And we've just got 80 acres of productive lowland pasture. So, yeah, small-scale livestock, sheep, uh, some goats, and then dairy heifers coming in in the summer. Okay. And what's the regen bit of it? Uh, the way I mob graze everyone around the place. So okay. that it used to be in maize, so we've got oh, quite right. a lot of soil compaction, soil erosion. We've got the river Elwy runs through the heart of the farm. Um, two kilometres of riverbank to work with and manage. And so, yeah, it's the way I manage the livestock to improve the land. And how have you monitored and recorded that? Digging a lot of digging a lot of holes in the ground. <laughs> so lots of lots of soil testing, lots of trial pits. Yeah, me and my trusty spade. Yeah, um, worm counts, looking at the aggregation in the soil. So earth, earthworms. Earthworms, yeah, earthworms, yeah. yeah. And uh, in the worst field for compaction um, from the May, days of maize, I've planted a hectare of silver, uh, yeah, silver pasture, alleys okay. of trees. And how's that gone? Uh, <laughs> could have gone better. Uh, it's mixed. Okay. Yeah, so um, I think we got carried away, uh, me and the consultant that I worked with, and we planted too many trees in too small an area, right. and it's actually become quite hard to manage that field okay. with the livestock. Yeah. So you've, so whilst you're benefiting from having trees on the farm, that bit didn't go as well as you thought it might do? No, it's, no and it isn't... Um, because we have to go out into that field to keep the, well, they call it weeds, but it's my precious herbal lay. <laughs> yeah. so, um, because we have to go out and manage that to keep it down to allow the trees to get away, you actually spend more time out there sort of going up and down and compacting the yeah. alleyways. So yeah. it feels a little bit counterintuitive. Um, but because it's such a pain to manage, I tend to rest it more, not put the sheep there so much. So actually, I think. I think the soil is getting better just because it's a bit undergrazed right, okay. and the roots are getting down further. So as a learning point then for other people, how, how would you do? How would you have done that differently? Oh, I'd have got stuck with my initial instincts, not got carried away, and I'd have done like small pockets, almost like glades of trees. Okay. And I'd have stuck to small broadleafs like um, we've got some witch elm and some goat willow and hazel, and I would have stayed away from fruit trees because okay. now I'm looking at trees that I've now got to do something with in a few years' time. As in prune or...? Yeah, and a crop. A crop. Yeah, there'll be a crop unless I leave. Yeah, it seems a bit of a waste to like, leave them to drop. But if I'd stuck with the broadleaves, I could then pollard them. If I just had broadleaf trees, I could pollard them and let the animals clear up the leaves as another form of fodder. Okay. Like tree hay, I guess. Well, tree hay, tree browse, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that browse is really important for the animal. It's for its gut health, it's the fibre, it's the proteins, sugars. Yeah, yeah that's another thing, is trying to keep them off of the saplings already. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they love them, yeah. Don't tell Woodland Trust they've already got in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one final thing, 
is actually you've also been flooded and you've had you've had some really serious flooding haven't you yeah yeah quite devastating um yeah it's a bit of a trigger um my good experience with trees is using willow like burying whole willow trees that we've coppiced from around the farm yeah. into the riverbanks that we've re reshaped so we've scraped them away uh, to a shallower gradient buried the willow trees in and then those whole trees lying in the ground act as a living root ball and send up saplings and that's the only way we've been able to establish trees on the riverbank right. with the flash floods and is that now slowing the flow of water and it's slowing the slowing the loss of soil so right okay <laughs> yeah. okay um we're not at the point yet where it's slowing the flow of water with it being a main river i've got 192 kilometer square catchment behind me so oh, okay. i need a bit of help slowing the flow um but it's definitely helping reduce soil loss. So one of the sessions we're going to this afternoon is, is called Slowing the Flow, and we're both in it. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is one of these things that is actually at scale, at catchment scale. Mm. We can slow the flow. We can work together as, as landowners, can't we? But mm. you're upstream. How are you, are you relating to upstream at all? Have you got friends? Yeah, I'm trying not to think of our session later. Um, <laughs> nervous. I uh, think we're both nervous, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm lowland, aren't I? But I'm just two miles upstream of my nearest town. So yeah. I want to do our bit to help our farm and also help, help um, people in town. But, and then upriver... Um, yeah, like I, I do milk recording for one farmer who's upriver and he's interested in doing some sort of leaky dams okay, on yeah, his, yeah. he's got a small tributary runs through the place. He's also actually planted up um, a load of oak saplings on, a, on, a, on the edge of the tributary yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, yeah, yeah. But I kind of feel like I don't want to ask too much of people upriver because yeah. they're trying to run a business, yeah. Uh, yeah. a viable... Um, but it's not know. necessarily asking a lot of them in a sense. It's actually it's perhaps getting together and trying to get common understanding yeah. of, of the implications of doing A, B or C, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and trying to find perhaps funding streams or those who can help put in those leaky dams, help fund a few small bits of wood yeah. in streams. Yeah. It makes such a, a difference. It helps... Do you know it help it makes such a huge difference mentally to yeah, me, knowing yeah. that that something is happening upstream? Yeah. Okay. Sam, I'm looking forward to our session, although we're both <laughs> nervous. Thanks very much for speaking to Triamble. That's been brilliant. Sam Kenyon, thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. I'll see you in the pub after. Yeah. <laughs> so, joyfully, I've just bumped into an old mucker, Tom Curtis. Hello, Tom. Hello, hello. How are you? Good, Good. to see you. Good yeah, to see you in well, Oxford. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what are you doing here? I'm well. I'm I'm here for the conference. I'm here just to listen. I'm not talking at any of the right, sessions. Okay. Um, uh, and also, my business is based here in Oxford, so I can yeah. I'm, I can flip between uh, between office and and conference. But I'll so be... this is a coffee break, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> no I should be mainly at the conference. <laughs> and you've been doing some amazing things with kind of thinking about how do you get agriculture and things on. Well, yeah, hopefully thinking, hopefully acting mainly yeah. around it. We've, yeah. we've got something called the Landscape Enterprise Network, yeah. uh, which is something that my business, Three Keel, set up, but it's now been developed by farmers and food companies and water companies yeah. uh, across the UK and across Europe. And 
And essentially what it boils down to is trying to connect the commercial world and, and the economy with land and make those dependencies real in terms of transactions. Right, OK. And it's called the Lens Project, isn't Lens, it? Landscape Lens. Enterprise Networks, yes. And how's that going? Because I know going. I spoke to you maybe, I mean, eight, nine, ten years ago about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up yeah, in Cumbria. Probably, my goodness, it probably is. Yeah, it probably yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, well, we've got, we've got half a dozen very active regions where Lens marketplaces, if you like, Lens yep. communities of businesses are operating. We'll transact about 20 million euros this year through it. Okay. That's double what we did last year, and it'll more than double again next year. And so it's really taking. So that's businesses putting money into... Nature-based solutions right. and regenerative agriculture. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Fantastic. And they're doing it for different reasons, but the same solutions. And the reasons generally relate to material risk. Can they, can they reliably get product off the landscape? Can they protect themselves from flood risk? Can they ensure that water coming off the landscape is, is, uh, hasn't got too much phosphorus in it. All those different reasons right. often alight on the same solutions in the landscape. We can stack up their interests and get them to pay revenues to farmers to, to uh, put in nature-based solutions and, and, and regenerative we, we're agriculture. We're businesses here that might have multi-million multi or billion-pound investments in a region which... Overtaken Absolutely. by climate change makes those those businesses Absolutely. Yeah, exactly redundant. that. Exactly that. Yeah. And it very much focused on the risk to those those capital assets and their and their business model yeah. essentially. And that's what they're concerned about. So this isn't about offsets, it's not about yeah. compensatory markets or anything like that. This is just practical businesses doing work with businesses. So what what are the what are the sessions you're going to that are out of your comfort zone? Out of comfort zone. Uh, well, uh, well, I, I'm so I'm going to go to one on on corporates and communities because yeah. that's that's I mean that's totally totally it, right in there message, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested to see what people have got to say we about that. Do, we can all do things we want. To <laughs> I know, about, I know. The, oh uh, golly, uh, yeah. Um, well, I ought to, I, there's, there's plenty here that's uh, yeah. uh, that's out of comfort zone and in comfort zone. I don't know. I've, I, maybe I've been too vanilla. You've, you've challenged me. I'm I shall challenging. I shall go and find something so, from something this brochure and go to something, something that. Is, hello, oh, yeah. good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the point of this conference. So many friends, aren't they? It's Completely. Great. Anyway, Tom, have a bloody good day. Yeah, well, you a couple too. of days. Yeah, yeah, I'll be here. Um, both I'll it's great to see you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Cheers. We start with your name and where you're from. So Malcolm Barrett from Cornwall. Yep. Uh, we took on a new tenancy with the Duchy of Cornwall three years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we agreed to be a host, a focus farm for natural capital for them. Okay. Yep. Uh, which was a really new insight for us as well because we came from an intensive dairy farm. Um, at the same time, he gave us the Dirt to Soil book, which I read and found fascinating. Gabe Brown's book. Yes. Yeah, it's, well, I the think famous that's book. The, that's the entry point for so <laughs> many people, including myself. Yep. I loved it. Yep. So through the Focus Farm and the Duchy, they introduced us to the Farm Net Zero. Yep. We've met fascinating people there, and that's basically how our journey started. Right. We've done a lot of regen, re uh, the buzzword of regen ag now, and that's why we're here today. It's first, our first time coming here. Right. So we're asking questions. We're trying to learn more on ways of reducing our inputs. Don't necessarily want to be organic, but just want to learn how we can do things in a different way. So you've come here to, to be inspired, to learn, to meet people, to see what you could do in the future. We've, yes. So one final question then. Do you think what you've heard, does it, does it give you an, a, a, they've got an op optimistic kind of response to what you've heard? Yes. Yeah, we're, we're looking, you know, because of where we are, we're looking for more inspiration. You better go for, push forward yeah. to do even more better things. So it's worth coming. Yes. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. So I've caught up with Charlotte from the Real Farming Trust. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. And 
you, you like you like me work from home and work so isolated from your your colleagues, don't you? Yeah, very remotely, very yeah. So where, where are you based? I'm in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. And I'm in Cumbria. Oh, so not we're a long way from here, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but your your particular part of the Real Farming Trust is loaning money to farmers. Yeah, so we provide a blended finance program, which is loans with a small associated grant plus mentoring to okay. small-scale agroecological enterprises. And how do you find agroecological enterprises? Um, they tend to find us. Okay. <laughs> I right. mean, I think, you know, especially in these sort of tough times, access to funding and to low interest loans and financing is, is pretty difficult. Mm. So we're actually one of the few kind of opportunities out there that um, smaller scale, earlier stage enterprises can turn to. And we're talking about, what, anything from a few hundred pounds or a few thousand pounds or...? It's 10,000 minimum right, okay. up to 100,000 with a sort of average of about 35, okay. 40. With a low interest rate? Yeah, it's a fixed 5% interest rate, which in these times is that, yeah, it's okay. low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what are they using that, that money for? Is it like buildings or what, stock or it could be anything? Yeah, it's all sorts of things. We can fund capital or revenue costs. So, yeah, a lot of times it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's the upfront finance for a building, for some polytunnels, for improvements, renovations, um, to enable a business to grow or diversify or take advantage of an opportunity. Um, and yeah, it could or it could be working capital, um, but really, yeah, we're about kind of helping people to take the next step. Next step. Yeah. And do you build relationships with those characters? Are you, are you is that part of what you do? Yeah, because there's a very there's a mentoring aspect right. to it. So often people come to us with business plans and financial projections that aren't. Or, or business models that aren't fully formed, mm -hmm. and so we do spend a lot of time helping and supporting people to, yeah, to kind of articulate that, get it on paper, test it, and so yeah, a lot of it is about personal relationships. Yeah, and are you part of that mentoring program yourself, or is that colleagues? No, it's uh, we do some of it in house, and me and my colleague, and we also work with external consultants. But yeah, quite a bit of what I do, I'd say, is offering. Mm the sort of service of a critical friend <laughs> okay. um, yeah and you're a mum so what are, you, what are you looking forward to are you think, thinking this is the way forward that we're all gathered here next last day <laughs> and the next day um, yeah I always feel a bit um, I haven't been to the conference for a few years but I d I've been coming for at least 10 years I think mm. so since the very early days when it was just a few hundred people almost bringing their own chairs basically <laughs> and I always it's, it's yeah I feel inspired when I come here and also kind of I don't know it's tough isn't it, it does it, it give it, you hope it does give me hope but it also kind of unearths a lot of the reality of you know what we're facing what yeah, yeah, the kind of troublesome times we're in. But I think, you know, coming together and, yeah, finding inspiration and solidarity is... Because there's a lot of positive energy here, isn't there? But I've also, in a couple of talks I've been to today, I've almost, I've almost been in tears with... Yeah. A, the enormity of the problem, and B, 
just just the depths to which people have sunk in their own lives and they, they pull themselves away from it but their talks have been so passionate mm. it's, it yeah. can be quite emotional can't it just being sitting there in the audience yeah yeah and I think a lot of what the conference offers is that storytelling kind of compassionate side mm. which is quite unique was very unique and mm. yeah can be very moving and I yeah I love all of the sessions and efforts that go into bringing in like spirituality and yeah the kind of more creative side of things yeah yeah good Charlotte thank you very much for spending some time with Triamble it's been brilliant to meet you very well and, and power to your elbow crack on yeah you too okay Claire Seward, you're with, with WaterAid. Yes. So what, what are you doing, what you're here for? So I'm WaterAid's Global Campaigns Director, and one of the things that we've been doing is really looking at climate change and how do we adapt to climate change, and the right. fact that water is such a fundamental part of that. And I've just come from COP, that was okay. out in Dubai, right. and one of the big things, actually the, one of the days at COP was about food and water, both on the same day, and I right. think more than anyone, farmers I think know the need for water for ourselves, we need yep. to keep ourselves healthy and alive, okay. and that's yep. where WaterAid's interest is, but then we need water for the land, and how do we bring together those two needs? And there's no one, I think, more than anyone else who is on the front line of climate change like farmers. They yeah. understand these dual needs, and but we don't talk enough to each other. And so I'm here to really learn and hear from farmers yeah. and see how we can work better together. How can okay. we take that common agenda of water and adaptation to climate change and actually work together to get what we all need out of water in the future? And did you come away from COP feeling uh, enthused and, and full of energy, or was it, was it more... It, I came away Muted. really, really understanding the challenge at hand. Mm. And I think WaterAid works a lot with, um, particularly in Africa and Asia, mm -hmm. with communities on the ground and, and with the governments on the ground. And what they were kind of saying is adaptation is a thing they want help with. They want, yeah. they want, they want, they know what the solutions are. Communities know what the solutions are. They don't have the funding. They don't have the support. And that's what we're looking from the global community. They didn't get that from COP, no. but we're starting to get there. This is the second has been official water day. Food and water together. Right. It's growing. But there's a lot more to be done. So I think there's a direction, but we still it's a, it's a promise that still needs to be fulfilled. And how much money is WaterAid talking about? What are you, what are you doing? What, what are, are you able to put into it financially? Um, so WaterAid, we, we, we fund us, we have fundraising that we do for ourselves, but we yep. also work for WaterAid. Yes, it's a bit about what we get, but actually we're talking far more about what we can do for water systems okay. in a country. Yeah. And for us, the bigger prize is how we're working with others to get the funding that governments need to have the water systems in place that can serve all of the needs. So we're really keen okay. to work with big organisations around the world to get money for the governments to do what they need to do rather than our kind of our programmes, okay. which are a contribution. And we have a new strategy that's growing that contribution, but really we're about a bigger picture that's bigger than us. And at the conference, what are you hoping to... to Listen to what you, what, what's, what's your in comfort zone piece and what's your out of comfort zone piece? Ooh. So my, I guess my in comfort zone piece, but the one I'm really excited about is getting to speak with farmers yep. and really kind of hearing the realities on the ground. We've heard some great talks already this morning from some of the international yep. um, networks that are here. So I'm going to be running around trying to grab people <laughs> and, and kind of having that conversation with them as yep. well. I think the out of, the out of comfort zone, and actually I'm a farmer's daughter, but I've okay. never worked right. in farming. Okay. Right. But for me, I want to really... I really understand where people are coming from and really understand yeah. 
the daily realities they're facing. And so for me, it's a huge amount of learning as well. I yeah. don't, you know, if we're going to work together, we need to understand where we both come from. So for me, I'm highly learning about things like soil health and things that I've never thought about as a campaigner for water, but are fundamentally important for farmers. So I'm here to kind of learn about that and put my, put my, my shoes, I guess, into, into the farmer's perspective and see what I can learn from that. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Claire. It's brilliant yeah. to speak to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. So I'm delighted to say hi, Chris Jones. Hi. Uh, and, you know, I just noticed you've been hugged by all the women in the room, actually. Which is <laughs> well, at least two. At least two. Okay. And you, I mean, your Cornish Beaver Project. Yeah. And you're farming, but you've, you've got beavers and farming, and, and I know lots of people are challenging what the beaver will do and how how it will benefit us. How, how will it benefit us? Uh, well, if we look at wider society, first of all. Uh, it can definitely reduce flood risk downstream. Yep. Uh, there's no question of that. Uh, the next thing is, uh, when we have periods of drought, yep. it will provide us with reserves of water on our uh, valley bottoms, which can, we can use if we need to. Yep. Um, uh, it absolutely removes uh, nutrients from water. I'm thinking particularly nitrates and phosphates okay. uh, out of water. And we've seen it, we've seen at our place, uh, reductions, you know, spot sampling, if you like, by the university group who came to visit, of 80% in a space of 200 metres, right. going through a series of five or six dams right. from okay. one into the other. 80% reduction? 80%, eight, 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 yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and at a time when our rivers are generally in an appalling state... They're very nutrient-enriched. You know, this is a free gift. Yeah. Um, yeah, the nutrient doesn't just go away. It all remains behind in the ponds where it's then consumed by lots of life. Everything from algae down to sort of macro uh, fights uh, and, um, and eventually all the things that eat those things and all the things that eat those things. Right. You know, and it just basically shoves a, a big fat boost into the, um, right. into the food web. And what are the negatives? Have you found negatives in terms of your farming system with having beavers around? Or? Uh, we, we have not. Uh, we're not supposed to have, but we do have some beavers uh, which are out with their enclosure. When we can, we catch them and put them back. Um, but um, we have not had any uh, negative effects there. In fact, we have actually tried to replicate what they do downstream of them to hold more water uh, on the land. Uh, so we've built a series of dams all I can say is it is very hard work and we cannot do it as well as the beavers do. Right, so they do it far better than we do. They, they do it far better than we do. They, they charge us no overtime rates, yeah. no nothing, uh, and if there's a problem, they fix it. Yeah. And um, they work at night. Uh, while we're sleeping, <laughs> they're, they're busy yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. So, um, but by and large, I think over a huge area of the country, we can have these animals back with relatively little yeah. uh, impact uh, costly impact on farming operations. Okay. There'll be some, but There'll we have some. answers to. Yeah, there's mitigation techniques for all of those, um, all of those issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what's your? What, what have you cut? your at the Oxford Real Farming Conference. What are you here for? What's your particular thing you want to take away from this conference? Um, well, uh, apart from the fact that it's the umpteenth one, I came to the very, very first one. Right. I did miss one in 2014. Okay. But been to all the rest, and, and partly it's about um, hearing. Uh, events or being at events like this, like this one. Uh, yeah. um, uh, and contributing to the debate um, and partly about seeing old friends yeah. and uh, just trying to keep current in what's going on in the rest of the world. Hopefully making some new ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy 
to uh, sit at home um, and and sort of lose touch with what else is out there in the world. Yes. And I thought JR from Strictly was bang on yeah. when he said it is happening. The change we need is happening. It's happening in a lot of places. Just still quite small and not necessarily joined up. And um, this is all about. Well, I, I think the podcast we're doing is proving that. And we've in, we've interviewed 16 or 17 people already. We've got another 10 or 12 interviews lined up. There are small pockets, but they are positive and they're happening. And yeah. these guys are making money. They're keeping yeah. staying in business. Yeah. And they're making it work. Yeah. So. And in fact, when I get home, uh, we're planting another. 15, 16 acres of agroforestry. Oh, brilliant. Um, okay. Yeah, we, we've done almost as much as we can now on the farm without interfering too much with skylight habitat. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. uh, you know, we, we, we're <laughs> nearly maxed out. And it, it's, it's the way ahead. Yeah. It absolutely is the way ahead. We've been Chris. on uh, applied chemistry for too long. We need to get back to applied ecology. Oh, that one isn't... Someone was just about to pinch my beer. That's really important. That was an interrupted end of, end of interview, but thanks very much, Chris, and I hope to see you later on the conference. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. What's your name and where are you from? Dorrit Albertson, and I, I'm currently from Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire. Currently from? <laughs> well, I'm originally from Germany, but that's a long, long time ago. And now you're farming in England? Yeah. I'm a cowgirl. Cowgirl. We run a couple of thousand Aberdeen Angus cows. And a couple of white parks on Salisbury Plain, Army Rangers, okay. and which is chalk grassland. And what's the primary motivation? Is it food production, or is it food production with wildlife? Or um, it's it's a commercial farm, so yeah, it's it's beef production, but we're we haven't got a choice. We have to conservation graze because yeah. it's all triple SI. Yeah. So we're making the most of the conservation grazing. And what's the frustration for you at the moment with the conservation conversation? What, what's, what are you being made to do that you don't want to do? We do graze pristine chalk grassland, which has a massive scrub encroachment problem. Okay. So we are, basically, if we don't do anything, we'll get drowned out by hawthorn and gauze on the chalk down. And Natural England's answer to that is to go topping which is brush hocking, brush hocking is what the Americans call it. You just go in with great big choppers and chop everything up. Yeah. And I can't see how, I mean, birds can fly away, but how any insects or small mammals survive that process. Yeah. It's brutal. And I used to do, I like to do this this time of year. And well, obviously not in the nesting season, but they just eradicate all the shelter on Salisbury yeah. Plain. And I, what I would love to see and help develop is um, grazing regimes that address this naturally, where the use of big, heavy soil compacting machinery guzzling fossil fuels is not needed for conservation. Which to, is cut, to cut back a woody material which is natural and has habitat value in its own right. Yes. Yeah. It's a bit perverse, isn't it? So. So you're thinking about grazing regimes. So what, what are you here at this conference for? I just gave a speech about um, natural weaning and cattle. Okay. That's a whole different story. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we developed a way of running the herds where everything is together and they live in big families and wean their calves naturally and that is not done right. readily uh, anywhere much. Some people are playing with it, but it's quite novel, it's not much known about it. 
And I've done a bit of research on that, so I just gave a speech. So does that mean that your, your youngsters, are, uh, they're, they're with their mothers longer? Yeah. They stay with their mothers. If they're girls and become cows, they'll never leave home. Right. And are you, are you turning your cattle over quite quickly in terms of your sales, or are you holding your cattle longer? What's your average kind of turnover in terms of cow to market, I suppose, length? Oh, God. Um, if a cow um, does well, then she might as well become 17, 20 years old. Okay. We do sell the boys. We, we do grass finish the boys, so they go under just under 30 months. And then anything, any heifers that don't make the grade, you can't keep them all. The boat is full. Yeah, yeah. That's a sad fact. So any heifers that don't make the cut go the same way as the boys. And then any cool cows get retired and eventually go. But yeah, their age could be anything whenever they drop out. Okay, so you're more interested about natural management of that herd as That's, far as it can Yeah, be. which is actually, A, it's so much more relaxed, and B, it's a lot cheaper because right. you don't have to do a lot. Yeah. And that works a treat to keep them, yeah. I like to call it semi-feral, it's not, they're not feral. They're pretty tame, but they take but charge. relaxed, you're relaxed. Yeah, yeah, and they take charge of their own affairs and they live out there year-round, outwintered. And, yeah. and one final question, you've come here, what, 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 what take-home have you got from the conference so far? What's the one thing you think, okay, I didn't know that, I'm going to take that home? Ooh. I did go to the things that were relevant for me, like the vet session. Yeah. And actually, what I did mostly was nodding and agreeing because, yeah, I need, I need to find a session that is something to do with something I don't know anything about. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have said that. I've been to stuff that's relevant to me, and I mm, need to go to stuff that isn't. It, exactly. <laughs> you have to suss that out. Um, well, I was here to tell my, my story, obviously, yeah. which I think is quite important to get out there. Well, that's what this is all about, is telling stories. Mm. So, joyfully, I bumped into Amy from Kingsdale Farm. Kingsdale Head, um, we've, just got, we've just been given yesterday morning two hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> with the Kingsdale head stuff How did you on. get the hoodies? <laughs> Tim and Catherine gave them to us. Do they have the writing on the back? They do. We love the bog. Yes. Yes. And, okay. and there's a, it's, it's a huge, uh, that's a thing in turn, right, isn't it? The whole bog restoration they've done. Yeah. But you're, you're kind of a generalist, aren't you? A bit like me, lots of hats. Yes, definitely, definitely. So Kingsdale is where I live and my yep. husband, Jamie, works there. I work for Soil Association, I work for Pasture for Life. Yep. So I've got lots of interest in the food system and nature and biodiversity and... And you're here with the Soil Association, but your interests are food systems yes. and, yeah, and changing that, localism. Changing that, how do you get to organic food, affordable for all, local food for multiple, you know, for people, having people understand where their food comes from and really care about it. Um, and it's so refreshing to be in a room filled with people that all have that in, in their head and all share that 
idea and that yeah. idealism of where they want to be. Yeah. Because it is a fizzy, buzzy room, isn't it? I don't yeah. think I don't think you can beat this for no, fizzy no, no. buzziness. Actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, you walk in and you can you can just feel the energy. You can feel that yeah. everybody has got the same idea, and they all. But there's, I think the oh the, the the degrees of separation in here is not seven. It's no, two. It's two. Uh, yeah. There's oh my gosh, I know that person. I know that person. And yeah. it, do you think that's a little bit of an echo chamber, or is that a is it just the fact that actually the network's growing? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because yeah. sometimes you think, am I just in an echo chamber? Is everyone just, because yeah. I'm surrounded by these people, that's what everyone thinks? Or is it growing? I hope it's growing. Yeah. I really do. I hope it is that that's what's happening. Um, but sometimes on a sad day, you think maybe this is just an echo chamber, but hopefully not. But we keep trying. Yeah. We keep trying. Yeah. So at Kingsdale Head, you are, you've got, you're not, there's no sheep there now, and it's a kind of rewilding project, but you're farming it, aren't you? Yeah, and I think, I think rewilding, nature recovery, there's lots of different ways you can frame it, and I think different words mean different, different things to different people. Yeah. So um, when I'm, go I'm going out with Soil Association every, every day, doing inspections and meeting people that are producing food, and so to talk to them about what we're doing at Kingsdale, you almost have to frame it in different ways for different mindsets because yeah. it, you can alienate people. And actually, the discussion I have with people is it's, if, it's, if it's the land that you're looking for, if it's your land, whatever the situation you're in, and you've got a goal for it, why does it matter? If your goal is we want to produce food yeah. and we want to increase nature and do good things for biodiversity yeah. and climate change, oh. then... <laughs> <coughs> Then why does it why does it matter if we have to give it a word? Why do we have to name it? Why do we have to say this is rewilding and this is regenerative farming and this is organic? Yeah. You know, it's all good things and we're all in the same room. We're all moving from one one, one space to another space, and and, yeah. and we do as humans we want to label things, don't we? But actually, the labeling can be problematic. It can't can because it? Yeah. it alienates people even more. And actually, we've done wonderful things at bridging this gap between conservationists ecologists and farmers like that gap is getting smaller and smaller all the time it's still there and I think we've got all these wonderful amazing farmers that are doing organic regenerative pasture life whatever it might be we don't want to alienate the, re the rewilders from that that's not no. what we want to do everyone's working for the best yeah. and they've all got a really good thing in mind yeah. and you know Kingsdale is it's two-thirds bog it's not farmable <laughs> it's not, it's not it's farmable, not farmable. No, no, you no. know the cows are there as a conservation tool yeah. and that works for that land yeah. and when you say 1500 acres to people they instantly think well you should have more cattle but yeah. they haven't seen the site yeah, yeah. You know, it's you, wet yeah <laughs> it's very wet so um, yeah cool. people that I maybe follow on social media yeah, okay. that I think yeah. oh I want to meet you and talk yeah. to you and maybe you follow Kingsdale and maybe it's kind of making those connections and also building connections between other people you kn you might know this person you might know this person and I can see that from the different hats that I wear and introducing people Brilliant. so networking definitely. excellent thanks so much for spending two minutes with you thank you no cheers Amy I've just bumped into a guy in the main hall and out of the nowhere we just decided we know We've got shared contacts all over, haven't we? Yes, so we have, yes. yes. <laughs> Abby, who's a cellist in our band, and Chris and Emma Padmore. Yeah, well, they're a uh, great couple. Lovely yeah. farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Cumbria Connections as well. Anyway, loads of connections. Yes, we have, yeah. We've, we've never met, but it's been... It's really great, and it's like... We've, it's, it's typical of the Oxford Real Farming Conference that you bump into people yeah. and you meet people, and that's what the conference is all about. It's making new friends. Yep, And definitely. seeing old friends. Yes, definitely. But your your partner is a is an organic dairy farmer. Yes, in North York Moors. North York Moors. Yep. But you have a particular interest in something else. Um, so yes, I'm with my colleague 
Justine Aldersey-Williams, uh -huh. uh, who's an Afro-Dyer based on the Wirral, and myself, we are growing Woad for Indigo. Okay, right. And we're growing it organically uh, on a farm near North Allerton. Uh, and we've done it this year as a trial, which has been, and it's been really successful, actually. And we're, our business, Homegrown Colour Limited, um, has now got a supply of woad and we're going to right. slowly put it out into the market and we've not huge amounts but we've got enough to trial the market and develop the market as it goes forward. We're, we're trying to uh, develop it, uh, natural dyes are okay. one of the things um, trying to move forwards, trying to replace the chemical based uh, artificial dyes that are currently used okay. um, based on petrochemicals. But it's the, it's the biggest woad production this country's seen for an awful long time, isn't it? So I understand. I, I think so, yes. Um, and I think we... we yeah, uh, I'm laughing slightly, but it's, um, it's something where we're, uh, we believe we're the biggest woad growers in the UK at yeah. the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Probably not a big boast with an acre. <laughs> um, but we, we did it this year to try to scale up. And I think we we grown uh, a small area last year. So I met Justine through the homegrown homespun project that was run. That she started three years ago, four years ago uh, in Blackburn, yeah. um, where she was trying to reinvigorate the uh, fibre and dye industry within the UK. And um, so, and it's culminated actually with her having her Woman Grows Jeans project, mm -hmm. um, where she actually produced a pair of jeans from the flax that she grew right. on the project, dyed them with the, with the woad we grew last year, or in 2022, uh, in Blackburn. Yeah. And, um, and that's come to fruition. She now has a pair of jeans from that. And I met Justine through the project sort of 18 months ago. Um, and now we're trying to, to get to the stage where we can actually expand the woad growing or the indigo production. It's not necessarily just from woad. Yeah. Um, and we are um, we tried this year as a proof of concept to see whether we can grow at the field scale, and which we have now proved we can. And so we are now going to uh, scale up over the next couple of years, and we have plans to actually be able to uh, make that as a... Uh, a sustainable business and be able to to say yes we can grow yeah. uh, sustainable natural organically produced dyes within the UK that are at a value that can be afforded Mark, thank you very much for your two minutes that's absolutely brilliant thank you thank cheers. you Pete cheers <laughs>
and are below the, um, the seaweed lines in our hectare farm. So if we go to the next slide. So with that, I just wanted you to kind of think about the differences between two types of farming, just to start the whole conversation going. I'll then go into what is, what is Caramore. So Caramore is the first community-owned seaweed and shellfish farm in Wales, so we're a CBS. We currently have two trial farms and a three-hectare farm just off the coast of Pembrokeshire. So I'm not sure if anybody's really familiar with the area, but our main area is um, just outside of St Justinian's, which is actually the lifeboat station from St David's. Um, so it's an area that uh, is, is quite remote, it's not the easiest to get to, um, but it's not tidal dependent, that is one thing in terms of when we come alongside with the boat, we're not tidal dependent, so we don't have to wait for the tide to come in and out to be able to launch the vessel. Um, that's our first section there. So we were established in 2019 and our first big farm went in in 2020, 21. So we're still very new, but we're growing at an amazing, incredible rate. Next slide, please. So what is a, a CBS really? So as I said, we're a community benefits society. Uh, there's a lot of importance within that. I do believe we're the first seaweed farm in the world. A lot of community benefit societies, so often kind of you'll get pubs or football clubs, that type of thing. So for those of you that may not have heard of a CBS, I've just got some bullet points there that I'm going to read through because for me, I find this way of learning, the same as the children really, um, a little bit easier than if I had a massive paragraph to kind of read out to you. So. Basically with the CBS, the profits cannot be taken by shareholders. It generates ever greater benefits to society, inspiring a growing wide network of experts, continual growth, well-being. It's the really important thing, there's no buyout of takeovers. All members own the equal share, its shares cannot be traded, ability to raise secure funding, it can run community share offers, Local jobs are created. We've currently got 14 employed now with us. So bear in mind, we only started in 2019. I think that's, that's great, especially for the local area. And my favourite thing about the CBS, it's working with the community for the community. So you may think, oh, well, you know, what, what are we doing for the community? But there's obviously the greater good. But alongside that, it allowed me to come on board in September as my job role. So I'm there as educational lead, with that I go out into schools, I offer workshops, free school visits, uh, free school visits to us I should say, as well as to the schools, trying to educate um, in all things that is Caramore and what that represents really. So that is a breakdown of a CBS. If we go to the next slide please. So um, how to gain commercial viability. This is obviously a really important one for us. Again, being a CBS, we have to get our funding from somewhere. So community shares, unsecured loans, grants and sales. So by sales, uh, what we decided to do in order to expand is we took on a company called Solver Seafoods. So we also have the shellfish side of uh, Caramel where we sell crab, lobster, um, mussels off the farm, the oysters and the scallops unfortunately are not ready yet, but we're also bringing um, cockles back into Wales as well, something that I'll uh, touch on later, but a lot of the 
the shellfish and the fish in general is just exported straight out, whereas we're trying to keep it in Wales. We're using local fishermen. Um, some of our fishermen literally live just two miles down the road and they fish just off where our uh, seaweed farm is. So that's really important to us, as well as creating sales. It was really important to us to uh, get involved in the community and help bring in local fishermen as well. I am the Scotland manager for the Nature Friendly Farming Network here at the Oxford Real Conference. And you were in DEFRA for a while? I was. I was in DEFRA and I essentially saw the good work that the network um, was doing and I could see the disparity between the, the vision for agriculture um, post-Brexit and where DEFRA was actually delivering and I saw what the network was doing I, I, I thought it was a really good um, actor for change you know yeah. farmers on the ground already doing it so that's why I moved to the network um, in Scotland um, because I thought it was a, a really important place to get to get involved and make make that change through uh, you know policy pressure but also farmers working together crofters working together mm. and it's been brilliant so far. And you spend your time sort of going between the farmers and, and government? Yes, essentially, because I think governments speak in a way that can be a little bit alien to farmers, and that is very much not a disservice to farmers or crofters. Mm. It's alien in the sense that it's quite it can be quite dry, mm -hmm. it can be quite uh, jargony, yeah. and it's just... <clears throat> A little bit difficult to, to get your head around. Equally, farmers and crofters are working seven days a week doing yeah, yeah. a brilliant yeah, job. Yeah. A, managing our food production. B, managing the environment. You know, it's very difficult to have the time to actually <laughs> go and give your voice all the time. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the valuable things about the network is I can go around all the farms and crofts, point to them and say, look here parliamentarians this is what this farm is doing this is what this croft is doing and through that the network is a really good evidence base for why more support is needed for nature friendly farming but how it can also work and yeah, make farms yeah. and crofts better more resilient complicated because it makes sense but it's hard to put that in a policy package so a lot of my work is essentially dressing that in a way where we can say to policymakers, well, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. So in the Scottish Agriculture Bill, it's going to be broken down into four tiers. And we'd really like to see tier four, which is all about um, kind of, I mean, they call it uh, CPD, continuous uh, professional development. We'd really like to see ideas around MSO sort of feeding okay. into that. So as I say, a lot of the, the, the network's work is taking farms that are doing MSO in a really nice and sustainable yeah. way and translating it to policymakers, MSPs, MPs, in a way where it's, well, you could easily put that here in, in this in, the legislation. in this legislation, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that's come out of the conference for me, I mean, this is full of young people. Mm -hmm. I feel quite old now mm -hmm. at this conference. Um, but one thing that keeps people keep saying is, why is this not stuff in education? Why are we not educating children about food sources mm -hmm. and food systems, but also at agricultural colleges? Mm -hmm. Why are we not learning about ecologies and MSO and everything else in, yep. in the colleges? What, yep. do, have you got an element of your work that's reflecting the education system? Yeah, well, it, it links to Tier 4 in that we, <laughs> we really want 
that to be front and centre yeah. of um, knowledge transfer. But I think a really important point of that, and it, it comes back to schools and all those things, is there is such a wealth of knowledge already out there on farms or on yep. crops. So one of our big asks is about a um, having peer-to-peer -peer learning, farmer-to-farmer -farmer, uh, clusters where knowledge transfer happens, but properly funded. And another element of that is getting school kids out onto farms yep. Yep. so they can you know, be taken around the farm and, well, this crop goes here, the, this stock goes here, but also there's this great habitat here, yeah. there's this here, yeah. you know, and having that kind of very tangible link to nature and farming from a young age, it, it, it means, you know, it'll be a slow process because obviously it's generational, um, but it means that in the future it will, it will thrive. So, yeah, we recognise that there's a whole host of knowledge already out there mm. and we're really trying to say that to government that you have this great resource, go out and yeah. go out and use it. Yeah. And it's not in the big commercial organisations who are trying to flog their own seed lines and... and yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, you know, exactly. it's farmers and crofters yeah. doing it for farmers and yeah. crofters because yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're the, the stewards of the land and yeah. <laughs> they're the ones that are going to make the change. Yeah. Yeah. Final question, Nature Friendly Farming Network, is it free to join? It is free to join, uh, very easy to do so. Just um, hop onto our website uh, and you can find all the details, any reports that take your fancy on there. Uh, we've just had one come out on uh, integrated pest management, but there's a whole host more sort of macro level things as well as those kind of specific issues. And is your issues. membership going up? Yes, yes, greatly so, um, which is really encouraging. Um, you know, the organisation is not that old, um, but we are seeing a rapid increase in membership, which is really nice, and it means that we can hammer the point to government to say, well, look at what, look at what these amazing yeah. people are doing, yeah. get out and support it. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Thank brilliant you to meet you, and um, I hope you enjoy, well, what's the little is left of the conference. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. James. Now the chair, James Robinson, Strictly Farm, now the chair of the NFFN, which I have to say very slowly. Really catch you. <laughs> <laughs> Nature Friendly Farming Network. End of the conference. It's your first conference in Oxford. What are your, what are your highlights? Apart from the buildings, we stood in Beef Lane, actually. <laughs> yes, no, yeah, I mean, the, the architecture. I've never been to Oxford, never mind a conference here before. So the architecture is just phenomenal. And all the... All the sessions, they're all based in these old historic buildings, you know. Yeah. So we see, you know, so you're sort of living on, you've been in among all the history of that. Um, but the people you meet is just phenomenal. Yeah. So it's yes, you've got some great sessions to go to, and you can learn a whole lot. But the networking and the people you meet, and everyone is, everyone is positive. Everyone wants to make that difference. Yeah. You know, farmers are able to really get on and really sort of do stuff. But there's loads of other people that want to help them along. So it's yeah. just this whole sort of collaboration and this whole sort of movement all heading in the right direction. What do you think about the, the size of that? It was 1,800 people bought tickets. And it, it's, yeah, it's 1,800. You think, whoa, where are all those people? But because there's so many different sites, you don't see 1,800 people in yeah. one place. The town hall where there's four or five venues within that, it gets quite busy in there. But you never feel, you know, overawed by the size of anything. Right. And everywhere's a short walk from one to the other. So no, it's just it's just been really good. And all I've seen really is smiles and people recognising each other, hugs yes. going on. Yeah, they've been. It's quite <laughs> touchy feely, isn't it? It is quite. It is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, lots of hugging. Um, 
lots of well just good banter really about yeah. stuff and people but like i say everyone's just wanting to get on and do now yeah. you know there's been lots of talk you know and this and, and there always will there always will be lots of talk and lots of planning but i think there is a real desire to just get on and do stuff now and some of the government announcements yesterday as well have yeah. will help that you know there's better funding now for the better way of farming and we've got to we've got to take that funding and do something really positive with it haven't we yeah and, and make sure that this this stuff that has been a little bit or very much really on the sidelines becomes normalized yes yeah that's it and it's you know we can't yeah it's it's great a community like this where um everyone is moving the same direction everyone well, not everyone knows each other but you kind of you're all from the same type of area that needs to spread out to the people that won't be coming to an to, to a thing like this. Um, so the more we can do as farmers on the ground um, to encourage other people to sort of, you know, just start with some things because everyone's a different um, a different point on this pathway through. Um, so those people that haven't really done much before now, the government payments will hopefully encourage yeah. us to make a start yeah. on that. And um, yeah, and once they get on that. On that road, well, it's. But if everyone here goes home and has five conversations, yes, absolutely, that's ten thousand conversations yes. yeah. that come out of this. Yeah, some of that's got to land, doesn't it? It has, and I think we as farmers, you should feel just so empowered by it because all the organisations, you know, such as Woodland Trust, Wildlife Trust, whatever it might be, they're all they all need farmers to implement all this. Of course we do. So yeah. it absolutely, you know, farmers should feel so empowered by that. You know, well, it should give them a real urgency yeah. to sort of get on yeah. and do. Yeah. And one of the things that came out the last session I was in was 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 somebody saying. Actually, I, I've learned to become a, I've learned to trust people and make friends in this space. Yes. And yeah. that's what's got him through the difficult times he's had. So he's learning from people, but he's also trusting and made friendships. Yes. And I think for me, that's what the thing about this conference is. It's, it's all about that, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is. There's no hidden agendas with anything. No. You know, it's not, yeah, it's, it's, I think we as farmers, we can be quite, um, quite distrustful of, of other organizations especially coming onto farms and things yeah. but but um you know everyone just wants to do the right thing yeah. and, and and make it work you know we're not here to demonize systems or people or farmers or something we just want to help them yeah. help people through final question are you up at five tomorrow morning to go milking i am up at five tomorrow morning <laughs> to go i was up at, i was actually up at five o'clock this morning when the alarm went off but i quickly turned over i went to, went to sleep again <laughs> Power to you over. Thanks, James, very much. And enjoy your, is it a year as chair? Or? Uh, two. Two, two, years. Years. two years. Two years as chair. But enjoy your two years as chair. I feel really privileged to have been able to go to several of the ORFC conferences. It's a lovely event. It's such an energising, warming place to be at the beginning of the year with positive stories about people who want to farm, to produce food, who are interested in food networks, food systems, about health and well-being, about diversity in farming and food production. It's just brilliant. If you do get a chance to go and you haven't been, go. It's brilliant. Uh, you won't regret it. So we're now looking into series three of Triamble. Uh, the feedback we've had from the first two series has been really humbling and brilliant and thanks very much for all of those who have fed back to us. Uh, series three we do more farming stories, we've got a story on composting, we go into ancient woodlands with an ancient woodland expert, uh, I stand in a river and interview people who are catching fish for science. Uh, it's, it's a whole wonderful 
gathering together of stories from the environment, from food and from people who are really trying to change the world for the better. You've been listening to the Tree Amble podcast, written and produced by myself, Pete Leeson. My special thanks go to Pete Ord for his awesome production and mixing skills. And actually, Pete and Pete, both of us, we wrote the music, so thanks very much to Pete for his input there. The recording was on location with mixing and production at the studio at Sunbeams, part of the Annie Mawson Sunbeams Music Trust. Thanks also to all those lovely people who were interviewed, Simon Wakefield for the artwork, and my special thanks go to those who gave me the confidence and support to make this happen. Angela, Anne, Catherine, Tim, Tim, Kevin, Emma, Nick and Paul, thank you. <laughs>